Welcome to Salem Chapel. My name is Johnny Pereira. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. If you're new with us, we're glad that you're here. If you call this place your home, we're glad you're here. If you're watching us online, we're glad that you're here as well. Uh, let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. That's where we're going to at least kick off uh, where we are. If you're brand new with us or, or this is the first time you're here, we have been in this series entitled Abide, really laying out how we are going to be intentional as a church in helping you do that very thing. How to help you abide with Jesus long after this series is done. You know, we have on our walls, uh, we have on our website, when you walk out of these doors, you see it on the back wall there, where our mission statement is to make and mobilize disciples of Jesus. And so one of the things that I've shared with you over and over again as we've been in this series is that we just don't want that to be a phrase that we say, but we want that to be the culture of this church. Because after all, it is the mission that Jesus has given us, that we are to be disciples of him, and we're to know how to make disciples of him with others. And so as I share what uh, I will share today and what we've already looked at, really what we're going after is using this series as a way to show you how we are going to be intentional to equip you to abide with Jesus, but then also to know how to do that with someone who doesn't know how to do it themselves. And so we introduced to you the Bible reading tool, we introduced to you the prayer tool, uh, many, many of you have grabbed one of these, but I just want to make mention of it. We put together a journal, a customized journal for you just in your own time with the Lord. Uh, we put together a Bible reading plan with passages of Scripture during this series, but we'll do that uh, with every series that we do so that if you don't already have a place that you want to begin reading the Word, you can use this tool, the Bible reading tools on one side, the prayer tools on another, so that you can begin spending time with the Lord on your own. Let me say that so many of you have grabbed one of these, and what I also love is so many of you have said, hey, I'm going to grab one and I want to buy one for somebody else. And so if you don't have $10 to buy one of these, know that you have a church family who has bought one for you. So there's no excuse not to grab one of these. We already planned to do that as a church, but I love your generosity. We were like, man, I want everyone to have one of these. What I love is we've had people coming in this week saying, hey, I got a couple neighbors and we're starting to have spiritual conversations and, and they're asking me about the Bible and so I bought two for them. And that's, you are doing exactly what we want you to do. Isn't it amazing when you feel empowered? and you're actually being shown how to do something, it's amazing what can happen. That we're not just telling you to do something, but we're showing you how to do it. So we're excited about that. Let me also say, I feel like a salesman up here. Uh, let me also say, uh, we also know that not every person can get in a life group. We want you to do that, but we know schedules are different, and, and some people are working third shift, or, or maybe the night of the week that's free for you, you don't have it, or maybe you're like, man, my kids are involved in a gazillion things, and we don't have the margin right now. We understood that, that that's a reality for some, and so what we've done is we put together a packet so that you can start an abide group, and what that is is just gathering together, you know, three people, four people, five people, you know, and say, hey, we all want to do this, we all know each other's schedule, we all work together, um, we all have hobbies that we do together, and how about we just gather together um, however often a month, and we kind of read the Bible together, and we pray together, and we can use that Bible reading tool and we've given you something, this discipleship packet that'll share with you how you can do that on your own. 
And what I love is so many people have already been doing that. I'm hearing of people at work, on college campuses, all different types of things. That's what we want you to do. So let me say this, one more thing before we get into uh, God's word today. Here's what I know. When we're laying out these discipleship tools, some of us have different backgrounds um, that sometimes aren't the greatest, right? And so um, I grew up in a very legalistic background. And some of you have grown up in a legalistic background. If you don't know what I mean by that, just count yourself blessed, okay? Don't worry about what I mean by that. Just be thankful you don't know. Um, But I grew up in a very legalistic background that was like all about do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. Half of it wasn't even found in the Bible. And and if you didn't do those things, the motivator for not doing those things was let's let's heap onto you guilt and shame. Sounds miserable, doesn't it? Because it was. And so as I introduce these tools to you that we've taken time to develop, I don't want you to default into that way and thinking, saying, man, this sounds very legalistic. Because what we're doing is we're just giving you a way to read the Bible and a way to pray that's in accordance to what Jesus said. And and today I'm going to introduce to you another tool um, that we're going to press down in the spring of this year and and two more tools after that. So i got three more tools to introduce to you. But I don't want you to view them in a legalistic way. I just want you to view them as as a way that we're coming alongside of you to help you know how to read the Bible, to help you know how to pray, to help you know how to hear and obey the voice of the Lord, to help you to know how to share your grace story and how you came to Jesus, to help you to know how to pattern your life after Jesus. So don't view it in a legalistic way. That's not what we're going after here. We're just wanting to provide you some ways that we can help you move from a desire to want to abide in Jesus and actually a way to do it. And then a way to do it with somebody else who doesn't know. So let me just say that as a precursor because I know growing up in that background because sometimes it can be a little haunting and be like, "Uh uh-oh, where are we going here? And I just want to say that so you know our heart, you know why we're doing what we're doing. Look at John 15, 5. It's on the screen. I know I didn't ask you to turn to it, so don't think I was lying to you, but I want to set our hearts on what we really looked at the very first week in this series where Jesus says this, I'm the vine You are the branches. I am your spiritual life source, nobody else. Not your pastor, not your spouse, not your friend, not your mom or dad, not your brother or sister. I'm the vine. Jesus is saying, I'm your life source. You are the branches. You get your life source from me. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. That the Lord desires for your life for you to bear much fruit, for you to have a massive impact on others in this life. That's what God desires for you, for you to experience a deeper relationship with him over and over again, deeper and deeper. Like the Lord wants you to bear much fruit. It's just an amazing thing. I don't want us to gloss over that. But then he says this, for apart from me, you can do, say that next word with me, nothing. Like, this is what the Lord wants for you. But if I look to something else to do what only Jesus can do, I'm going to fall short. Now, verse 10 is what I want us to focus on this morning. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What does Jesus say in verse 10? That there's an importance to your obedience to the Lord and what he wants for your life. And there's an importance as well to my obedience and what he wants for my life. And when I am not just hearing the voice of the Lord, but I'm actually being obedient to what he says, what I get to experience is, is more of his love in my life. We define abide like this. Abide is walking hand in hand with Jesus as he leads the way. The literal word, the New Testament is written in Greek. Uh, that word abide that you see there in John 15 means to remain, to commune, to have deep relationship with. And so we've defined it abide in our language here at Salem Chapel as simply walking hand in hand with Jesus as he leads the way. Hand in hand has the idea of relationship. Hand in hand has the idea of humility that I gotta admit that I need to hold someone's hand. That there's that humility, there's that intimacy, there's that relationship as he leads the way. That I understand that it's his hand that's my strength, it's his hand that's my protector, it's his hand that's my provider, it's his hand that sustains me. So let me allow him to lead the way. That's what we want for every one of you. To trade in the mediocre faith that you may be experiencing even today and to trade it in for what the Lord desires for you. For you to abide in him so that you can bear much fruit. Now, gave you long enough to turn to Matthew 7, didn't I? <laughs> Matthew 7, let me give you some context to Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Jesus has just finished. This is the conclusion to his sermon, the greatest sermon that has ever been preached, the greatest sermon that will ever be preached. Why? Because it's by the greatest preacher who ever lived, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So he starts in chapter five and he's teaching this sermon on the mount and he's teaching it to the crowds there that are on the mountainside uh, there in Israel. I had the privilege a couple years ago to be in Israel and to see this landscape of where Jesus would have preached this message in the Sea of Galilee in the background and Jesus teaching this message and he's talking about what it looks like to be someone who follows him and someone who lives like him and he closes his sermon with this parable, this illustration to get across the importance of not just hearing what Jesus is saying but also being obedient to him. Look at what he says in verse 24. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded. Say these next three words with me. It had been founded on the rock. Verse 26 and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. How many of you have heard this passage of scripture before? Raise your hand. Okay, probably 90% of you. That's what I thought. And so you know, you've heard this a million times, but let me set the context for, for some that may have not, whether you're in this room or watching online. Uh, Jesus is giving an illustration that there's two individuals in this illustration. There's a wise man and there's a foolish man. Now, what's similar about this wise man and this foolish man in this passage of scripture? Both heard the words of Jesus. Both built a house. Both experienced rain and wind and floods. 
Both of, all three of those things beat on their house. Those, is, those are the similarities. In fact, the similarities between the wise man and the foolish man are much more than the differences. See, there was only one difference that Jesus gives in this passage of Scripture between the wise man and the foolish man. And you know what it was? One obeyed what Jesus said, one did not. It's the only difference. One said to themselves, Jesus, I am listening to what you were saying, but I'm not just going to listen to what you're saying, I'm going to build my house or my life upon what you said. And when the rain and the wind and the floods, which symbolize the circumstances of life, beat on that person's house, it did not fall. Why? Because he built his house upon the words of Jesus. He just didn't hear them, he did something about it. Now, the foolish man, on the other hand, had a different result. Why? Because he heard the words of Jesus, but he decided to build his house his way in opposition to what Jesus said. And the result of that is when circumstances came into his life, his house was in crisis. So really, if we wanted to look at this passage of Scripture, what we could say is that there's two fundamental questions in the Christian life that we have to answer over and over again. But before I put that up there, people running the slides are gonna, they're like, he missed something. Yes, I did. Here's the title of the message this morning. The title is, Hear and Obey. If you're taking notes, hear and obey. How do we not only hear the Lord, but be obedient to him? Now, what's the two fundamental questions in the Christian life that you need to answer over and over again? Like Lori and I have done this in our own life, these two questions that we'll oftentimes bring up to one another. Here's the first one, what is God saying to you? And here's the second one, what are you gonna do about it? Those are two fundamental questions that need to be in your repertoire as a follower of Jesus. God, what are you saying to me? After all, that should be the birthright of every, and it is, the birthright of every follower of Jesus Christ. That if I believe that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life for my sinful life, died on the cross because that's what my sin deserved, rose again three days later, that if I put my trust in what Jesus has done for me, I have the privilege to call God Father. Regardless of whatever father I may have had on this earth, I have a heavenly father who's perfect and loves me perfectly. That is a blessing that I have. So it is the birthright as a Christ follower to be able to be able to say, I know what God is saying. But then there comes a responsibility. What am I gonna do about it? Think about whatever it is in life that you're faced with. It's not enough to hear it. You gotta do something about it. Someone can explain to you how to do a process at work. That's awesome. You need to know that. But what is going to determine whether or not you are being successful at what that is? You're going to have to take it and apply it. Okay, this is what he or she said. What am I going to do about it? They've given me instruction and whatever it is. Okay, I got the instruction. That's important. That's good. It's great. But what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about the information that I have received? And oftentimes we as Christ followers get caught up in thinking, oh, once I hear it, as long as I know it, then all of a sudden that's just supposed to miraculously do something in me. No, no, no. You've got to ask yourself, what am I going to do with what I heard? Here's the idea I want you to get today because we've been talking about what it means to abide in Jesus. And here's how you can know you're abiding in Jesus when you are hearing and obeying what the Lord is saying to you. 
when you're hearing and obeying what the Lord is saying to you, you are walking hand in hand with Jesus as he leads the way. And what does Jesus promise in John 15, 10? Man, you will abide in my love. You'll experience it in a deep way. Not that I can lose Christ's love for me because Jesus Christ bought it for me through his life, death, and resurrection, but I'll experience it in a deeper way when I'm not just hearing, but I'm also obeying. Now, here's what you need to understand. We say this here at Salem Chapel, that when God's word is open, his what? His mouth is open. We say that for a reason, because as we looked at when we walked through the Bible reading tool, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all of God's Bible is breathed out by God. And it, when we look at it for what it is, what does it do? It makes us complete, it makes us equipped. We able to know, we're able to know how to fit God's word into every situation that we're living. We're equipped for every good work. So the primary way that the Lord speaks to us is through his word, which is why we came up with a Bible reading tool, so that if you didn't have a way, you're able to be able to get in God's word and to be able to have a way to understand it and a way to hear from him. But there's also secondary ways that the Lord speaks to us. Primarily through his word, yes, but here's some secondary ways that the Lord speaks to us. He speaks to us through people. I've had many times in my life where some of you are those people. There's been times in my life since I've been here at Salem Chapel that you had no idea what I was going through, but you're like, you know what? Your name came to mind and I just wanted to let you know that I was praying for you. And for whatever reason, I felt like I just needed to say this verse to you or this thought to you. God used you to speak to me. God does that. He speaks through his people. He also speaks through circumstances. There's events that come into our life that God is bringing into our life or not even necessarily bringing, but he uses things that are not good that are a result of us living in a sinful world that, that God would not want us to experience, but he uses those things, what? To get our attention. Think about times in your life where you can look and say, man, it was at this point that God really woke me up. Sometimes it's God's word, but other times it may be an event. It may be a circumstance that woke you up. So what I'm getting at here is God primarily speaks through his word, but he also uses people, and he also uses circumstances or, event, or events. It's interesting. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and I want you to look at verses 15 and 16, because in Ephesians, we have this idea of the wise and the unwise, much like Jesus gave in this parable in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Now, the Apostle Paul, who was saved by Jesus, is writing this letter to the church at Ephesus. But look at what the Holy Spirit says through Paul. He says in verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. What's the definition we have of abide? Walking hand in hand with Jesus as he leads the way. See, we use those words intentionally. Walk means how you live. So Paul says, look then carefully how you live. How you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, if you're reading that in your time with the Lord, maybe you're using your journal or whatever it is, if you're like me, I'm gonna answer, I'm like, okay, I'm supposed to walk as somebody who's wise, a wise woman or a man, and I'm not supposed to be unwise, but how do I do that? Well, I'm so thankful that the Bible tells us, look at verse 16, here's how we do it. We make the best use of the time 
You ought to underline that word time because the days are evil. So literally what Paul is saying here is be careful how you walk. You want to walk in such a way that, you wanna, that you're abiding with Jesus, if we're to use Jesus' words in helping us with this verse. But how do we do that? Well, we need to make sure that we are making best use of the time. Why? Because we live in a sinful, evil world. There's evil that happens all around us because we live in a broken world. Here's what you need to understand. Here's the significance of that verse and why I'm mentioning it. And why it's so key to the tool that I'm about to introduce to you to help us answer those two questions. What is God saying and what are you going to do about it? There's two Greek words for time. Remember, the New Testament was written in Greek. The first word, the first use or the Greek word for time, I should say, is chronos. It's where we get the word chronograph. It literally would be like me asking you, what time is it? And you would say, well, it's this time. That's the idea of chronos. And that word is for time is used in different places in the New Testament. But that's not the word here in Ephesians 5, 16. See, there's another word for time in the Greek, and it's the Greek word called kairos. If you use it in the English, it's K-A-I-R-O-S. That speaks to an event. Not chronological time, but an event or a circumstance. Here's how you would use it in a sentence. You would say, hey, I was at a wedding last night, and I had a great time. You're not saying I had a great 1045. You're saying I had a great event. It was great to be at this event. That's the idea of kairos. And so when I look at this passage of scripture, what the Lord is saying here is, hey, you want to be careful how you walk. You want to walk according to God's word. You want to walk in such a way that you get to experience Christ's love and abide in his love. Well, part of doing that is making best use of the events that happen in your life. And so the question then that we need to ask is, well, how would we define a Kairos moment? Here's how we define it. It's just an event that God has set apart to get your attention. That's what we mean by Kairos moment. So here at Salem Chapel, part of what creates culture is language. So you're going to hear this a lot. You know, as we move forward as a church, you're going you're gonna to hear when you gather together in your small groups or your bide groups as we look forward into the next year, and people will say, hey, did you have a Kairos moment lately? What do we mean by that? It's just an event that God, you believe God has used, and he's trying to get your attention. That's the idea. So what I want to introduce to you is what we call the hear and obey tool. Now let me say this. This is a tool that the Lord has used a lot, that Lori and I should say have used to help us through different decisions that we've needed to make, through different circumstances that we've gone through. And so this is a tool that we've actually, you know, kind of brought in and tweaked that we've experienced as we think about giving you tools that are gonna help you abide with Jesus. Why? Because it's important that you not just hear, but you also Obey. Here's what I also know. I don't want to stop right here. Is I know that every person in this room has had a Kairos moment. That there's something right now in your life, whether it's an event, whether it's a circumstance, whether it's an emotion, that is weighing on you 
and you're like, I'm not sure what to do about it. I'm feeling this way, I'm struggling in this way. And I know that's true of some in this room. You may also be people that you're like, man, I'm riding on cloud nine. I mean, God just came through in a miraculous way and and I'm just so excited. I've been praying about this for a long time. That also can be a Kairos moment. That's something that God has brought into your life that he's trying to get your attention. And, And it's in a like, hey, just remind yourself of the blessing of abiding in his love and that we serve a good God. So I don't know which one of those things may be on you right now. But here's what I want you to do. I'm just gonna pray real quick. And I want you to say, Lord, whatever this thing is, name it in your mind and saying, would you even help, if you don't already have a process to discern this, Lord, would you even allow me to be able to process what I'm feeling right now through what we're about to go through? So just pray that with me. God, I have no idea what each person is coming to these doors with, none. I know what I have. But Lord, here's what's awesome, you do, you do. So Lord, as we just walk through a way, it's not the only way, may not be the best way, just a way to introduce a tool that can help us to be able to process, God, what are you saying? And what do I need to do about it? Lord, may we even take whatever that is and allow us to work through that even as we sit and are introduced in how to use this tool in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to think about this idea of kairos and a kairos moment. And let me give the illustration this way. Imagine you're driving in a car. And you're driving in a car and you're going 45 miles down the road which in Winston-Salem is pretty common because most of the speed limits are 45, which is not a great thing for me who live in a big city because normally I am not going 45. But nevertheless, let's pretend we're all great citizens and we're going exactly 45 miles an hour. Can we do that? So we're driving 45 miles in our car and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we didn't see it coming, we hit a speed bump. Now what I can say with, with pretty good confidence is that if you're going 45 miles, miles an hour and you hit a speed bump, it's going to get your attention. Okay, and just, you're driving down the road and you hit this 45, or you're going 45 and you hit this speed bump, most of us, if not all of us, if we're somewhat cognizant, are going to pull off the side of the road and do what? We're going to check the condition of our car. Like have I dropped a muffler? Did I break an axle? Did I pop a tire? Uh, You know, if you've got one of those low-profile vehicles, did I scrape up the paint? Like, whatever it is, you're going to get out of the car, and you're going to check the car out. So if we think about that in life, let's think about us going down life, and, and we're riding down life, and we're cruising along, and all of a sudden we hit a speed bump. Something that happens in our life, that illustration is like a Kairos moment. It wakes us up. And what is God doing? He's saying, hey, this situation, I'm trying to get your attention. Why? So that you will stop and assess what's going on. Now, that's ideal, right? But how many of us actually do that? Most of us don't. And so if we're to go back to the car illustration, you're driving 45 miles down the road, you hit the speed bump, but you don't stop, you just keep driving, man, and you just hit one speed bump after another, and just, everyone else in the car knows that you need to stop, 
Everyone in the house car is like, this is not normal. But for you, you're like, man, I'm just going to keep on driving. And after a while, you know what begins to happen? You all of a sudden are like, this is just the way it's supposed to be. And so just like that illustration, sometimes in life, you know what some of us are saying? Well, God doesn't say anything to me. I read his word. I don't get anything out of it. I go through life. I can't tell you the last time God got my attention. And so you're saying, well, that's great for you, Johnny, that you feel like God is saying something to you, but God doesn't say anything to me. And I would say, no, 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 that's the wrong conclusion. God is saying something to you, but because you've been riding over all the Kairos moments that he's allowing to come into your life, it is your normal for your life just to be. And so in your mind, you're like, well, I guess life's supposed to be this chaotic. I guess in life that this is the way it's supposed to be. And what the Lord is saying is, no, no, it's not. And you know what God does out of his grace and his love for you? Hebrews says that whom, the, whom God loves, he disciplines. And you know what, eventually, and there's been times in my life that I've been driving 45 and missing all the speed bumps and just going right over them, right over them. And Lori and her patience with me is like, you know what, it might be a good idea to troll over. And I'm like, no, man, we're good. And we keep riding up. You know what happens eventually? God in his grace allows you to hit a brick wall. And he forces you to stop. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I think we all could say we've experienced one of those times in our life at least one time. Why? Because God loves you too much to allow you to keep going without pulling over so that you can take a moment and say, God, what are you saying and what am I supposed to do about it? Some of you experienced that recently. You've hit a wall. But by God's grace, maybe you're in restore right now and you're finally allowing yourself to come to the place to pull the car over and to say, God, what are you saying to me? Let me take time to stop and let me listen. But can I encourage you? Let's work at stopping after the first speed bump rather than waiting till we hit the wall. Right? Can we do that? So let me introduce to you a tool that's going to help you with that, a hear and obey tool that's going to help you discern what is God saying and what are you going to do about it. And there's really, we got six steps, honestly, in this tool that as you proverbially pull your car over, your life over, on a way to help you process, God, what are you saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? Now let me say this again. This isn't some legalistic way that this is the only way that you have to do it. But let me just say to you that I have a life and this is what I do. Okay? I went to seminary. I went to all these different types of things. You know, know, I could could answer questions for you that you're never going to ask. But this is just a simple way that I use in my life. And here's what I also want you to know. I'm at the point in my life in using this that I'm really not thinking to myself, okay, I gotta draw a little car and I gotta draw a little speed bump. Here's what we're just trying to do. We're all visual creatures. You notice all of our tools are visual to help you remember. All these tools are simple enough that you can write on a napkin. You're meeting with somebody at a coffee shop and they're like, man, my life's a wreck right now. I have no idea how to process this. And you're like, I know a hear and obey tool. And so let me just... Talk about the first step. Here it is. The first thing you want to do is you want to observe. This is not a very complicated, this is not a complicated thing at all. Here's what we're asking. Just for you to ask what happened. So many times we don't even do that. We're just like, I'm just going on to the next thing. Going on to the next thing. No, to just stop 
and say, what has happened? Why am I feeling this way? What event has just occurred? Let me stop and me observe what has happened. Here's the next step. After you observe and answer the question, what has happened? Like, you're like, what's happened right now is I lost my job. Or what happened right now is my spouse and I got in a big fight. And we keep doing this. Okay, we're going to observe what happened. What's our next step? We want to pray. And here's what we're going after answering this question. Why has this event grabbed my attention? It's answering the why question. Like, Lord, there are a thousand moments in a day. Why has this been something that has caused me to stop in my life and say, man, what has happened? Let me observe, but let me pray. And as I'm praying to the Lord, Lord, why? Why has this happened? Why are you doing this? What are you trying to show me? And I know sometimes why can be the hardest question to answer, can it? I mean, there's just some things that why, we're never going to know why until we're with Jesus. But I think it's good to engage the why with the Lord. Like, Lord, why has this happened? We've given you a prayer tool to maybe even process some of that. But maybe it's just simply you just saying, Lord, would you show me why this happened? Why in this way? What are you trying to get me to realize? I love Hebrews 4.13 says this, there is nothing hidden. Everything is laid bare before him. There's nothing that you can hide in your life from the Lord because he already knows it. So maybe he's allowing this Kairos moment to just wake you up and you engaging in prayer is a way that he can begin to help you answer this why question and show you what he's trying to get you to see, to hear. So you observe. Why has this happened? What, is, what has happened? You pray. Lord, why has this happened? And then here's the third step. You discern. I want to discern. Here's what I do. I take time to get into God's word. Like this thing has happened, I've prayed about it, but let me go to God's word. I'm in my reading plan or whatever, I'm working through my Bible reading tool, and let me just, like, Lord, what are you saying in this passage of scripture that can speak to what I'm experiencing? Remember one of the first things I said when, before I read, you know what I say? Lord, would you take your word and allow it to speak to what I'm feeling right now? It's a great prayer. So when you pull off to the side of the road and you're like, okay, this may be a Kairos moment that, that, that I'm experiencing. Okay, I'm gonna observe it. What happened? I'm gonna pray. Why did this happen? Lord, would you allow your word to give me clarity on what you're trying to tell me? Why do I say that? Because what did we say in 2 Timothy 3.16? All scriptures breathed out by God and its purpose is to make me complete, equipped for every good work. And the primary way that God speaks to us is through his word. Why is it so important to go to his word? Because if you're like me, I can easily get off track and think that God is saying something that's actually contradictory to what he's already said. Right, so I could be like struggling with forgiving someone and they've hurt me deeply and I can be like, you know what I feel like God's saying to me? He's saying to me that I am, I am righteous and I, am, I have no reason and I'm okay not to forgive that person. That's what my nature would say. Like you hurt me, I don't wanna forgive you. But if I say that that's what God's saying to me, 
Someone, hopefully, who loves me enough can be like, well, let me show you some verses that kind of help you understand that if God forgives you, then you need to forgive someone else. See, I can't make that conclusion that God said that because his word says the contrary. You ever run into situations like that where you're meeting with someone and they're like, yeah, God told me to do this, and you're like, oh, my like, really? Really? Like, okay, is there a camera around here? Like, the prank's gonna be on me? I mean, letting you into my mind sometimes when, you know, as a pastor, sometimes you're like, I'm pretty sure God didn't say that. And I can think about 10 verses that say the contrary. Because that's our nature. Listen to me. When I want to do something and I'm really set on doing it, I'm not going to find the people that are going to tell me they don't think I should do it. I want to find all the people that are going to tell me, yeah, that's exactly what you should do. That's why I say in this discern step, when we're thinking about this moment that God has allowed in our life, and it doesn't have to be big, it can be small, it doesn't have to be this monumental thing, but these kairos moments, Lord, I want to discern what you're trying to say to me, so let me go to your word, trusting that you're going to speak. But here's another thing that we need to do. God's also allowed people to come into our life. Hopefully people that we can trust, people that we know that love us, people that we know love Jesus and also want to please him with their life. And so inviting them into the process and saying, hey, this is, where I, this is what's happened. I've prayed about it. This is how I feel like God's word is speaking to this situation. I think God might be saying this. Can I share with you what's going on? It's so important under this discern step here that we are here on this process of going around this wheel, trying to think about what is God saying, inviting others in, others in that you trust, that can speak into it. Proverbs 15, says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. You know how I know that what I'm wanting to do And what I'm discerning is not what God wants when I don't want to share it with anybody else that may disagree with me. That is a good sign that that is not the way that I need to go. Where I'm like, I don't want to hear anybody. I don't want to hear any arguments. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I have decided. That is a good indicator that you actually need to bring other people into that. Why? Because don't you want to know what God is saying to you? And can I just encourage you that on this side of this tool, that this is all an invitation from the Lord. What does Revelation 3.20 say? Behold, I stand at the door and I'm knocking on your life. And if anyone opens the door, I will come into him and I will eat with him and he with me. What is Jesus saying? That I want you to invite me into your life. I want to be involved. I want to know what's going on. He already does, but he wants you to invite him in. He wants to see if you want him to be involved in your life. And so really what we're doing is just helping you on how to abide. Man, how do I make sure these moments that come into my life that I don't miss what God is saying and I can avoid hitting that brick wall that's coming So that I don't blow my life up, but I actually can take moments of the smaller moments so that I can discern what God is saying and understanding, man, this is just a way that God wants to intersect into my life and invite me into deeper relationship with him. But can I give you a word of caution? 
Here's what oftentimes happens in our life. This is where we stop. Okay, I know what's happened. May even have some clarity on why it happened, either from the Lord or maybe from others. Okay, I know clearly what God is saying to this situation that I'm experiencing. Okay, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you, so-and-so, for investing in me. But if we stop right here, we are still the foolish woman or man. Because this side is all about hearing, but we have yet to come over here, which is about answering the question, God, what am I going to do about it? See, with the Lord, there is always invitation, but the Lord also, out of his love, wants to provide challenge. But don't think of challenge as negative. Think, think of challenge as growth. That the Lord wants you to hear what he wants to say to you, but he wants you to obedient, be obedient. And so often in our Bible studies or whatever we're doing or listening to a message, we walk out of here and we're like, I know exactly where the Lord is telling me to change. Woo, I'm glad I listened to that. I'm awesome. But like I mentioned before, you're just the guy eating potato chips and dip in front of P90X thinking that that's something, that, that, that that's doing something. What do you got to do? You actually got to do something about the amazing information that you've been given. And so what's the next step on this tool? Well, we got to think about that very thing that I just said. What's the next step and how I can be obedient to what I've made the conclusion on by going through this process? What's the next step? Man, come up with a plan. Come up with a plan. Why? Because a disciple of Jesus just doesn't hear what Jesus is saying. They do something about it. So perfect example, if you are struggling with forgiveness and you've worked around this, this little uh, tool here and you're like, okay, I know exactly what the Lord's telling me to do. He's telling me that I need to forgive this person. And so you go to the next step and it's like, okay, so what am I going to write down as the next step? Well, I just need to love people more. That's great. You need to love people more. But there's no way you're going to be able to measure that. Right? What's the next step that I can make towards being obedient to what God has said? It's about getting specific. Let me give you an illustration. So there's something for my life. There's something in the past couple weeks that's just made me anxious. And I want you to get nervous. It's nothing, it's nothing that's going to affect the church or anything like that. But there's just something that's made me anxious over the last couple weeks. And it's just been really hard for me not to think about it constantly. And so yesterday, you know, our kids, Lily and Lucas, are on our youth retreat. They come back. They should be pulling up here soon. Uh, so we got, we got Friday night and all day Saturday together just by ourselves. It was amazing. And so Lori knows that I've been anxious about this, and we were talking about it. And so she said, hey, how about Saturday morning we just get coffee, and uh, we sit on our back porch, and we don't, we're not constrained with time. And how about we read Psalm 91 together before we get together? And I thought, man, that's a great idea. So we gathered together and we read Psalm 91. And I just got some amazing truths that I believe that God was speaking to me from Psalm 91 in relation to what I was being anxious about. Now, I just described, without using these words, how to go around that tool. I'm anxious about this. 
I'm going to pray about it. Why am I anxious about it? I know why I'm anxious about it, because I like to be in control. I'm going to discern, okay, we're going to go to the Bible. I've shared it with another person, my wife, who I trust more than anyone. Now, what's the next step? You know what the next step was? I got a Bible, I got a Bible app on my phone called Dwell. I don't get any money by advertising this. I'm just sharing with you. I have this Bible app called Dwell that literally you can take a pastor's scripture, have it read. You can choose all these different accents from American to, I don't know, all the different ones. You can choose what music you want it to play behind the scripture that's being read aloud. So I like listening to scripture being read by a guy named Felix. He's this... <laughs> He's this, it's this African accent, and for me, when I listen to Felix read, it just makes the scripture sound that much more amazing. And I choose ambient music behind it. So you know what I did? I took my dog out for a walk, and I literally put that on repeat, and I just listened to Psalm 91 over me as I was feeling anxious to remind myself, this is how God is speaking to what I am feeling. That was my next step. It wasn't, hey, I need to read the Bible more. It was simple as that. What's the next step? Make it practical, make it person, person, make it uh, personal, make it urgent. Here's the next thing: account. Account. Literally, what you're doing is you're inviting someone else into your life that's going to hold you accountable. But can I encourage you? Accountability is not policing, it's partnership. It's not like, who can I invite into my life to nag me to death and make me feel like I'm a worse person? That's not the idea of accountability. It's like, hey, we're on this journey together. How about we, we help each other not only hear what God is saying, but be obedient about it? So in this situation that I described, it was my wife, Lori. But what you also need to say is I've shared with the elders. They know what I'm talking about when I say I'm anxious about this. I've shared it with the elders so that they can be praying for me, so that they can be asking me, how's that going? And then what's the last step? Act. Do it. Do it. Don't just come up with the plan. Don't just find someone that's going to help you, but do it. Because here's what happens. Here's how transformation happens is that as I have a process and I'm not just missing these Kairos moments, but I'm actually thinking to myself, what's the invitation that God is inviting me into and where's the challenge? What do I do with what God has said? As I begin to act, here's what happens. Transformation begins to happen. And I would love to tell you that transformation happens overnight, but it doesn't. It happens one degree at a time. But over that small change, what begins to happen? I start to become someone that I did not used to be. Through the strength of the Holy Spirit in my life. And what I would love to tell you is that transformation is always up and to the right. Up and to the right. No valleys whatsoever, but you know what transformation oftentimes looks like? Me taking time to process through a Kairos moment and then processing through another one and then processing through another one. But over time in this process, you know what begins to happen? I become more and more into the follower of Christ that he desires for me. Second Peter 1.3 says this, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Like the awesome thing is, is that I have the power as a Christ follower to do what God wants me to do, to hear what he wants me to hear, and to be obedient so that I can experience change in my life. 
So as I close this morning, can I just ask you, where's God trying to get your attention? Where? Don't gloss over it. Don't pull over it at 45 miles an hour. You're like, I don't have time to stop. No, 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 no. God's saying something. And what we want to do as a church is just give you a process to where you can help answer those two fundamental questions. God, what are you saying? And what am I to do about it? Would you pray with me? Stand with me as I pray this morning. God, I know. I've seen it in everybody's eyes as I've been up here. That they want to do what you want them to do. I don't believe someone purposely says, I don't want to do that. Sure, there's pain that gets in the way. Sure, there's disappointment that maybe causes us to view you inaccurately. God, I truly believe that we believe that you're our Savior. We want to do what you want us to do, but sometimes we just don't know how. And God, as we just introduce this Hear and Obey tool as a way, a way to help us process those kairos moments that come into our life that is an invitation of your grace into our life. God, may we not just be hearers, but may we be obedient so that we can be wise men and women who are abiding in you. In Jesus' name, amen.